Hey, welcome to the Knowles 24-7 podcast. This is Brendan Sinone. Joining me today uh, in person yet again was like the third time in a row. We got Christine and Bob Ferrante at Bob's house. So uh, so we're going to be able to, uh, to to kind of vibe off each other here. The chemistry is going to be good. We're not going to have any, hopefully, uh, audio issues or technical difficulties. And uh, today for the podcast, guys, we're going to basically go over five topics, five things that we want to talk about before the preseason. It's going to be a little bit of big picture, uh, macro stuff, and then some more minutia too uh so we're going to go big and small uh not a whole lot of news to report because unfortunately we haven't gotten access in how many days has it been guys since thursday since thursday and that was just kind of a short-lived uh abrupt jimbo fisher we haven't talked to players won't get him for about a week so i know you don't like to hear about you know the media complaining about things but we would love to be able to give you more information on new stuff so instead we're going to do more big picture things which i think will be interesting as well hopefully Although Chris is already skimming through a magazine as his podcast has started, so his ADHD is is off and running. So I'm going to start with Chris as we go into our topics to get him on on topic here and get him on track. We're going to go with the most pleasant surprise so far of the preseason of camp. Uh, Chris, what are your thoughts on on, on just what has stood out to you, I guess, so far uh, this preseason as, as the biggest surprise, something that you weren't expecting up to this point? For me, it starts with Derek Kelly. We talked about him a lot last week on the pod. The fact that he may potentially be the left tackle is pretty shocking to me. You know, in the spring, that wasn't really a thought. After last season with Derek struggling with injuries and not really contributing, you just didn't expect a whole lot out of him. You know, thought maybe he's in the battle for right tackle. He'll push a guy like Rubel, for example. But at the end of the day, it looks like he's almost certainly going to be a starter, and the potential of being the left tackle starter is quite intriguing. And the offensive line is such a big question that if you're able to solidify the left tackle spot, I feel good about the interior possibilities at both guard spots and center. Right tackle, you'll have enough bodies where you can throw somebody in there who you hope is adequate. All of a sudden, something that's kind of viewed as a potential weakness is going to look pretty solid like a strength. So for me, that's been the pleasant, best surprise on a team that's, you know, been pretty status quo for what I expected in the preseason. What's kind of crazy with, with Kelly and the emergence there is, is one, I think, as we can all assume, that he's probably going to be the starter at left tackle to open up against Alabama. I know Jimbo said a week or so ago there's still more time, but we haven't seen or heard anything to make us think he won't be the guy. So one, are we assuming that he will probably be the starter at left tackle? Yeah, and, and I, the other thing is, Jimbo says, and it's true, we're so quick to write a guy off when he disappears yeah. for a year. He's not yet developed or not yet ready, and Derek was very much one of those guys. He just kind of fell off the face of the planet last year due to injuries largely. And I walked into preseason thinking he was you know, a good 7th, 8th body on the offensive line, and now he may play the most important position outside yeah. of center on FSU's Yeah, he thought line. he was going to maybe be a swing tackle or swing yeah. guard. And that's what I was going to say. The craziest thing about Derek Kelly is, is – and I was in this club thinking, oh, man, this guy you know, physically is not done but had a ways to go last year based on what we saw against Ole Miss in the season opener. He was at left guard and why he was out there on the field to begin with. Like, I don't know how that was their their most viable option. Please turn off your cell phone, Chris. And he really <laughs> off to a rousing start. But, like, how that was your most viable option against what was a pretty good defensive line. Like, that was kind of befuddling to me, like why we had you – know, why we saw this guy out there. Um, but, yeah, he's – He's been, by all accounts, a, a pleasant surprise in the preseason. Uh, Jimbo really likes his, his strength, his hands. I thought he looked good at right tackle two years ago, so maybe that's kind of what we're seeing is, is him kind of getting back to that form but with a couple more years of experience and, and understanding. Uh, Bob, for you, what's kind of been the big surprise standout up, up to this point in, in preseason camp? 
I, I would agree with Chris that the biggest surprise was Derek Kelly mm-hmm. emerging as this this left tackle candidate really out of nowhere because he kind of thought it was going to be Josh Ball going in and then the curveball was going to be Rick Leonard and now this crazy slurve of sorts is, is Derek Kelly but he's a guy the coaches like because he works hard and he's just persevered through injuries. He was a three-year starter at left tackle in high school so he's got a little bit of familiarity there with that position. Uh, they love his versatility so I think he plays somewhere. Um, yeah, I, I don't I don't feel like Florida State has a true left tackle right now. I think they're trying to figure out just who is the best fit and I, I think that's what you have to do when you don't have the guy like like the Roger Johnson or the Cam Irving. You're mm-hmm. you're kind of trying to figure out where the pieces best fit. Um, so that that was definitely my biggest surprise. I think the pleasant surprise, you know, has just been I feel there's more confidence now in the receiver tight end group, mm-hmm. even though the numbers aren't there. And Dossie's admitted it's a thin group at receiver, uh, especially with Phillips out. You know, we've seen Torian Terry flash, Keith Gavin. All the reports have been positive. You want zillions and zillions of Keith Gavins, which I, I couldn't believe. <laughs> yeah, Jimbo was raving, gushing about him. He called him Warriors, said he wanted. Just give yeah. me a team full of Keith Gavins. He was Gavins. tickled by him. Jimbo's been tickled a lot this preseason. <laughs> like Tickle Me Elmo? No? Continue by. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's it's such a small group, and you really can't, like you can't go maybe so deep at tight end and receiver. But, you know, what if they have legitimately three good receivers plus DJ Matthews and Tamari and Terry. Mm-hmm. And what if George Campbell finally stays healthy and puts it together, plus you've got two tight ends. So it gives Jimbo, again, that versatility to play around with the playbook, use two tight end sets if he wants to, mm-hmm. go two receivers, go three receivers. It, it gives him that chance to be creative, and I think he, he's going to enjoy that. Mm-hmm. He, he, he does seem legitimately happy with the wide receivers. Now, whether that's him trying to use kind of through the media to, to get their confidence up, like – I don't know. I, I try to play, you know, dime store psychologist with with Jimbo, and I just I don't know sometimes. But he, it's such a different tone from what we've seen in past years with wide receivers. That's why I, I just wonder could it be that much of a of a three sixty or from what we've seen in, in the past at yeah, that we, position. We haven't got the day where Jimbo just said they were basically crap. No, and, we also didn't get access after the after years. the second scrimmage, which is yeah. typically the, uh, the the within a practice or two of that one way or the other is is when uh, he he gets at you know calling them soft or just being fed up with the receivers. But it seems like in talking to Dossie at Media Day, players, both offensive and defensive skill players throughout the preseason, that it's a consistent theme. It's not like it's only yeah. coming from Jimbo. There, there seems to be a, a a steady confidence with that group. Yeah. Oh. And I think, truthfully, the limited rotation that Bob referenced is actually a good thing. FSU almost gets themselves in trouble when they're deep at that position, mm-hmm. where they think they have seven, eight guys they need to look at now. Know your three or four. Know the guys you can rely on. Use the other guys in spot duty. Mm-hmm. I think that's almost a saving grace for FSU, presuming those guys live up to their billing, specifically Keith stepping up as that third guy. Yeah, less rope to hang yourself by, I think, is the is the saying there. And you just kind of want to have some consistency in that. And I think the downside is, obviously, if someone gets hurt, you're thin. I know Jimbo said it, he didn't think they were thin, thin but they're they're thin. Uh, but but it only takes, we've seen before in the past, it only takes three good ones. That's all you need. Um, but that's not something that, that's that's easier said than done, I guess, to find three good ones. Um so yeah, I think I, I I think that's a good point, Bob. I didn't even think when we were guys. The way we kind of started this podcast, we just came up with five topics and just started going. So we don't have a, we haven't done a whole lot of planning and compared notes. So I didn't even think of the wide receivers. I was thinking about 
Derek Kelly as well when we were thinking about the, the big surprises. To, to me, the one that, that I thought of, though, uh, is Jimbo's confidence in some of the freshmen. Uh, there's always going to be a couple rookies that are going to contribute. That's what, I mean, by the end of the year, like 60-70% of the true freshmen will play. That's typically what's done under Jimbo Fisher. And usually there's one or two guys that play really early on. What's been interesting to me is how confident he's been with not just one or two, but a handful of them. The running backs, he seems to be pretty pleased with. Cam Akers, Kalan LeBourne, uh, even Saquandre White. White, sorry, we, we know that they're going to contribute. At least one of those guys is going to contribute at some capacity or another. Uh, but then you go down the list and you look at Hampson, Nazarene, Jimbo just raved over him a couple of days ago. Leonard Warner at linebacker, excuse me, Leonard Warner at linebacker, another guy that Jimbo has just been really, really happy with. I'm um, trying to go down the list. I mean, Joshua Kando is someone that Brad Line has talked. There's a handful of guys, maybe six or seven that we see. Am I forgetting anyone? Marvin Wilson. Yeah. Marvin he Wilson, but the five star. He is, but like he may be like the like I put him on my top five. Yeah, because like, it's such a deep position. Yeah, you may yeah, need, but he's a guy you the body, the girth. He stands out physically among his peers. There's very yeah. few guys in that segment who are just that large. If you're facing a team that's trying to punch you in the middle a lot. He's going to get some burn. He's, he's going to gobble up some space. He's Eddie Goldman, right? Like, that's yeah. kind of what his, his upside I, is. I don't want to pigeonhole him saying yeah. he's simply Eddie Goldman. But, no, but yeah, he, from physically, physical, yeah. some of the attributes, yeah, there are similarities without a doubt. And, I think the freshman thing, it's easier to almost list who you don't expect to contribute. Yeah, I mean, there's like maybe five Trey, or six. Trey Lawson's a guy. Brady Scott's a guy. I don't expect uh, either Brooks, of them to do much. Uh, yeah, Brooks. Brooks would be another one. But there's very few after that. Yeah. I mean, those, those are the easy ones that you can kind of put Alexander out Alexander Marshall has an injury yeah, right now, so we probably want to Slow. Trey McKitty's another guy that like Stanford Samuels. Like, yeah, Stanford. I forgot about Stanford Samuels. Yeah, I mean, Who else? He potentially I mean, could start at corner. I don't yeah. think he will because they're so deep again. But he's but going to play. Jimbo play, has made yeah. that that known. I'm trying to think. I mean, Cyrus Fagan has an injury. So basically, right now, like guys that are injured: Brady Scott, Cyrus Fagan, Alexander Marshall are ones who kind of we aren't yeah. expecting. And outside of that, like Trey Lawson and DeCalin Brooks or DeCalin, excuse me. Um, Bob mentioned to Marion Terry and DJ Matthews. I think those guys are going to get run at some capacity. The, uh, the quarterbacks, obviously, you don't want to throw in the fire, but even Hawkman looks like he would be prepared if he had to be a game manager to yeah. handle some situations and make some plays. And Blackman's got major upside. He's just a kid that's got to fill out, develop, and on Terry Wilson, somewhere. they like him too. Sorry, yeah. but it, man, I think they like him more yeah. than most are kind of expecting. So yeah, it's probably we're looking at about probably more than even normal. We're going to see contribute this year. I think that's been. You know, something that surprised me again. I think you go into you're thinking 65 to 70 percent of the guys contribute. I think it's going to be that number pretty early on, with room for that to go up to like 80 percent of the class. That's a good. It's a good recruiting tool for Jimbo and the staff yeah, too, because they can say, "Hey, you know, we're we're going to need you every yeah. year." And he knows he's admitted it that a lot of these guys they're they're planning on being around campus for for three, three years. years. It's it's a known, and I think Jimbo knows he has to get the mileage out of the guy while he's here. Yeah, and I think, you know, we're not going to see it against Bama. You might see some guys have some spot duty. A guy like Cam Akers might be a big contributor. Mm-hmm. But Louisiana Monroe. That's going to be the week. It, that second half is going to yeah. be watch the future of FSU football. And that's when you figure out who's going to be able to start helping yeah. you in that next, you know, maybe that, that next half, first half and of the season. There's something about you. a guy getting a taste of it. Guys yeah. can practice all day, and some guys will look great in practice, and some guys will look awful in practice. Mm-hmm. But when you put them in a game situation, sometimes the light comes on, and sometimes mm-hmm. they cower and get small. It's very much one of those things, you know, coaches are always talking about, I don't trust a guy. Well, you got to give them reps. You give mm-hmm. them a rep in a Louisiana Monroe game, get them a little thirsty to it all. They can practice a few more weeks. They're going to get another shot on the back end of the schedule with Delaware State where they can do that. So I think it's going to be interesting to watch a freshman class come along. There's some I can't remember who. It's one of the draft guys I follow on Twitter. I don't remember if it's Josh Norris or someone who I, I like. I like the way they go about analyzing 
uh, NFL guys, you know, college NFL, that they were saying, you know, give me 100 preseason reps, and I feel like that's more indicative of, of what you can project a a rookie to do in the NFL his first couple of years than say even like 500 college reps. Yeah. Uh, so the same thing, like I think that ULM game is going to be a big, you know, to kind of see who can. We only saw a couple of years ago against the Citadel. Davlin Cook had a couple of nice runs early on, and that was it. We didn't see him for a couple of weeks after that, but you got a taste in that first game. Like, okay, that guy's going to be something sooner rather than, than later. And it changes the way your team practices, yeah. too. Because yeah. those guys go from, oh, I'm trying to learn, I'm just here, to, hey, I'm trying to compete and play. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That, that's important. Competition makes a team better. And this team has, you know, playoff potential. And for them to reach that, it's not going to be about the starting 22 guys. It's going to be about... 44 to 55 guys on this team being contributors. Yep. And we're going to go to playoffs. That'll be our last topic. So real quick, I'm going to mention the rest of the topics. So our readers kind of, or readers, our listeners have kind of a way to, to follow the rest of the podcast. Next, we're going to go over biggest concern. Uh, that's kind of emerged at this point. <laughs> Offensive line. We're all going to say, I'm pretty sure. Uh, then we're going to go, uh, basically freshmen, uh, basically, uh, uh pleasant you know, freshman that we're kind of excited to see uh, there's someone who's surprised so far someone as a, as a rookie that we're kind of excited to see and then a returning player uh, whether it's like a sophomore uh, you know it's basically someone that pl- got a little bit of burn last year so basically the guys that we're excited about individually to see this year then we'll go to uh to uh basically the defense and this being a make or break season for for coach charles kelly and then finally uh whether we think this is a legitimate national championship contender so those are going to be the rest of the topics that we have, guys. So let's go to biggest concern, uh, what you have about this team uh, entering the 2017 campaign. You know, it's, it's funny, going into the spring, uh, or coming out of the spring, I should, should say, offensive line was definitely number one. I felt like wide receiver was was kind of a close number two, and now that's that's turned where I, I don't really have wide receiver concerns mm-hmm. based on what we've seen. To me, it's still pass protection, and I, I view it, I can't view it as offensive line. I view it as pass protection. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a line that's going to run block just fine. It's going to be different because Dalvin is is not around. Mm-hmm. But I feel like you're going to have issues, um, probably right tackle and left tackle yet again. I, I feel good about the guards. I do think Everly is going to be better. Um, how much better is, is clearly the key question. But if he's that that knowledgeable guy that can help identify you know, pass protection and, and who blocks who. I think this this could be a, a better line, but still have major, major concerns about pass protection overall, especially when you factor in what running back is going to have to be there to pick up the guy who gets through, mm-hmm. you know. And then the other, the other crazy factor is that there's nobody really that you feel strongly about after Francois. Yeah, you don't have a yeah. Sean McGuire anymore. So that's why, again, pass protection to me is so crucial because if he goes down for any significant amount of time, whether it be a half or a game or two games, you're you're looking at Bailey Hockman to try to just, just get you through, mm-hmm. and, and that's a really tough situation. Uh, that was going to be mine was, was going to be backup quarterback is my yeah. biggest concern. And, and DeAndre Francois showed his toughness last year. That's been well documented, uh, playing through pain, uh, getting hit, continually big shots and getting up uh but last year you did have Sean McGuire and that was a nice safety blanket like Sean was very serviceable throughout his career I think that that you look at what he came in as what he left like he was exactly what you needed uh as, as what you recruited there I mean he may be disappointed in how things ended but but he was serviceable for Florida State like Bob said you, you come in with with if 
DeAndre Francois goes down and, and your choices are J.J. Cosentino, which we've seen how that plays out so far, and and then Bailey Hockman. Uh, and I don't think James Blackman's ready to to play. He just He's 160 pounds at 6'5". Like, he will get broken in half if he has to take the field. Um, so it's Bailey Hockman right now is probably the guy, and then that's just, a, like you said, a tough situation. Um, if you're looking at FSU in the context of a championship contender, like, like yeah, every team's going to be in trouble more or less if their starting quarterback goes down. But I think the fall from where Florida State, see, or you know what its what its ceiling can be to what its floor, like it, it, if Francois goes down, you go from being a possible contender to like an eight win team, maybe like if yeah, depending on when it happens, survive. yeah, you're basically just just trying to get through the season at that point. I agree with Bob, um, especially the difference is not that solely the O line; it's more about pass protection. I definitely agree there. Another thing to add to that point, I would say it's the defensive line units they're going to face. Mm-hmm. I mean, they practice against a really good one, but they're going to face some really talented ones, and they're going to face them kind of off the bat. You know, uh, Bama, obviously, Miami, NC State, all three very talented defensive mm-hmm. line units. And then you end the year with Clemson at Clemson and at Florida, and those are going to be good yeah. defensive fronts too. I'm, I'm not entirely convinced Florida's going to be great up front. Especially late in the year because you're going to be banged up. You're going to the, be dealing with injuries. The Not depth is depth is great. The depth is probably like, going to be where, but, but it's not I mean, the much champ depth. No, that they used but to it's have still going to be a top twenty-five defensive line in the country. Not, I would guess. I'm not even trying to dig on Florida. I just <laughs> I legitimately feel that way. I don't think their depth defensively is near as good as it's been in past years. No, I don't think so either. I, I don't think the drop off is going to be as great as we think it is. But it's still going to be. I do agree. Yeah. There's depth is going to be an issue. It's still going to be a good defensive line. I guess my my point is not going to be crappy up in Gain or down in Gainesville right now. So. Well, the O-line is my biggest concern. I'm not going to bore us with repeating what Bob said so well. I'm going to go with my second biggest concern, which I don't even know if it's truly a concern, but special teams. <laughs> I think FSU kind of wastes special teams the last yeah. couple of years. Punt returns have been relatively non-existent. There's also been issues with catching it. Supposedly this preseason, they've been very good at catching it. Hopefully the returns come along with that. Heard that before. Kick returns, they're going with big bodies, which, you know, some people on the beat asked Jimbo about big bodies, and Jimbo said, yeah, Tamar Vanover from 25 years ago. I don't even know who that was. Yeah, <laughs> that hurt Wayne's feelings, so I just figured I'd bring it up in case he's listening. But, you know, they're looking at Keith Gavin and some other big bodies like that as return men. And then, you know, the kicking. Logan seems to be more consistent. Aguayo seems to be doing better overall. The kicks look stronger, down the middle, higher. Like, there's going to be more ability to go 40 and beyond. Um it's not so much a concern, it's just an area where I think FSU needs to make a leap. And I'm not I'm not entirely sold they will. I don't think you really know about special teams till you see them in a game situation. Mm-hmm. But I feel like FSU needs to make that leap. And I think it's been kind of a point of focus to a degree for FSU this preseason. Jimbo cares about all three phases of the game, and it's clear in practices that they're trying to produce big plays out of special teams. Mm-hmm. Now it's just a matter of can they do it, what will happen. And, you know, the last couple of years, special teams, kind of, or more so last year, special teams have been kind of nauseating to watch, not very enjoyable, and truthfully drive me berserk because FSU leaves a lot of yards on the field. And, mm-hmm. you know, when your offense is struggling, if your O-line is not doing great, if you're fielding every punt at the 20 wave in your arm and you're never getting a yard for it, then, you know, you're playing an 80-yard field. If you return 20 yards, all of a sudden you're playing for 20 yards to set up a field goal. Mm-hmm. So, it changes the game drastically. So I think it's an area where FSU needs to make a leap if they want to be the caliber of team they can be. It, even, I mean, for me personally, just like, you'd settle at this point for just feel, fielding the puck consistently and cleanly. Like, yeah, if you can get something out of it, great. But, like, since... Making the right decision. Don't go back to the six-yard line and yeah. fair catch a punt. It drives me berserk. Let it bounce. If they down at the one, then their unit did a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. But more often than not, that thing's going to bounce wildly out of the back of the end zone, and you're going to get 20 yards. Yeah. So uh, it just... 
I feel like if you look at FSU's special teams last year, like a plus-minus of yards they kind of gave to the opponent versus yards they gave up as mm-hmm. the team, it would be kind of an ugly picture. Mm-hmm. And I just I don't think they can afford to do that. You got you set up your offense and you help your defense so much on special teams. And last year, FSU kind of squandered a lot of opportunities there. I'm trying to – I won't be able to pull it up in time, but the SB Nation, you know, Bill Conley does the mm-hmm. metrics, S&P Plus. And if you go down and you look at all the return stuff, it's – outside of kickoff coverage, it's all pretty bleak. Some of that stuff ranks in the hundreds with their special team yeah. stuff. So, yeah, you're, you're right. Like, they, the special teams has been an issue. And, again, this is in the context of Florida State being a possible championship contender. Like, you don't have to be great at special teams, but it helps if you can kind of – it masks some deficiencies, like you said, Chris. From a return standpoint, both – as the team returning and the team covering the return, mm-hmm. FSU's got so much damn skill that mm-hmm. they, some of it should be almost naturally good. And that's it, what I don't understand like how, you can't get a, how you can't get a dynamic punt returner at yeah. Florida State with the athletes that you're bringing in. I think it's approach more so than the players. Though. I, think, be, I think there's a mentality about being so obsessed with catching the punt and not looking for a return and waving the arm that you're almost like giving up the opportunity for it. I understand that with every return, a guy's an open body if he gets blasted potential of a fumble i understand all the pitfalls the downfalls the possibilities that can happen but at some point you know a quick six on the board changes the game real fast and i feel like fsu didn't have that in their repertoire last year punt return efficiency for florida state 114th nationally punt efficiency 107th uh special teams total 58th which is that's adjusted that's middle tier i mean that's your, your florida state the only thing they were really good at was kickoff efficiency, which I would say that's been pretty consistent the last few years. They're really good at kickoff coverage. It's just an area where I think they can make yeah. a big jump, and I think, you know, you change games completely on special teams sometimes. I mean, heck, last year after he won a game because of special teams in Miami. Mm-hmm. I mean, the block kick is huge. I'm talking more return game kind of setting you Michigan up. Michigan as well? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, huge return. I just – I think it's an area where FSU can take a big leap, and it's – I don't particularly, when I'm covering game and trying to enjoy it as a football game, I don't particularly enjoy watching FSU special teams. Yeah. Uh, it's like Neil's on a chalkboard. It's not, it's not great. And we could probably go on about special teams for another. And I so oh, damn, sorry, Bob. So damn proud of you guys. <laughs> Bob's been so sitting here quietly. So damn proud. I don't even have to talk. It's just, the pride just swells. Um, like how Bob's know, embraced his, his tendency to be the, the preeminent uh, special teams beat writer. You know, I, I won't go on on special teams road, but something you mentioned about the back quarterback, the way the schedule set up with Louisiana Monroe, I know we're, we're all going to be hyper-focused on Alabama, but mm-hmm. it would be interesting if the game plan for Louisiana Monroe was for Jimbo to say, you know what, I'm just going to play Francois one half, and then I'm going to play somebody in the second half. And if he decides to say, you know what, I'm just going to get Bailey Hockman ready in the event that we need him. And he just says, you know what, screw this whole red shirt. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. This might be the year where I need a guy and I need to have somebody who has some some real significant game experience. I wonder if, if that's not a situation where he's just got in the back of his mind thinking, you know what, Randy Sanders and I need to get Bailey ready to run a, a small fraction of that playbook for one half against what's going to be a pretty bad team that's going to be playing its own second and third team players in the second half. Plus, I don't think it's awful to create separation between a freshman and a redshirt freshman with Hawkman and Blackman, mm-hmm. right? and then the potential of bringing in a kid who you know might play or might redshirt. You know, FSU at times has kind of stacked their depth chart where they had like you know junior, no sophomore, two freshmen. One of those freshmen sure. is probably going to leave. leave. Yeah. So kind of creating that separation might not be the worst thing ever. Um, Jimbo's never been a guy where he's like, I'm only going to play this guy half. 
So I don't expect that to happen. But I do agree with Bob that I think there needs to be a clear discussion before the game begins of are we ready to use them? Are we going to put them in the fire? And if we are, let's give them opportunities. Maybe even some you know early second-half opportunities with first-team offense just to see what he can do. But also, I think Jimbo will view that game as allowing Francois to practice and play at the same time with some of the other offensive weapons to create rhythm and stuff yeah. for going through the season. Throw some plays out there that there's variations on that they might use later. They've done that a great deal in years past mm-hmm. in those second, third games of kind of, you know, tooling around and seeing he, some things that huge, might work. huge on rhythm. With yeah. The, yeah. So if, he, if Jimbo sees what he wants to see out of DeAndre Francois, I think he's okay with going. Would, would you guys – let's – Crazy hypothetical. Let's say Florida State goes out and squeaks out a win against Alabama and you know emotional game, and they go and they lose to to some out of ULM. Would you trade three and one? Would you take three wins in that first uh, opening month of the season? That's NC State, Miami, Alabama. The met a loss to ULM. I'm not entertaining a hypothetical. <laughs> Would you? I'm not entertaining it. Just like for like a national perspective of it, because you would have these marquee no, because wins. It's Louisiana Monroe. If you don't make the playoffs, win national championship at the end of the year. Five years, people are still going to say, that's the year you lost to Louisiana Monroe. So <laughs> I no. just think it would be fantastic to have this emotional high. From... Obviously, it would be good for FSU to be 3-1 and one or 4-0 and oh after four games. <laughs> just, but if Louisiana Monroe is a stumbling moment, I no. All right, that's fine. I can't believe I entertained her. <laughs> you did. Cool. I knew I would be, bring you down to the muck with me. All right, let's go to, to guys that, for us personally, we're kind of intrigued and curious to see. Uh, and I'll, I'll take the lead here. Let's start off with, with freshmen, uh, with a newcomer guy that I'm curious to see that I'm intrigued by that I think is going to make an impact this year. Um, I'm not going to go low-hanging fruit with Cam Akers. I'm going to go with Hamsa Nazaruddin. Is that right, Chris? I think we I've been practicing it. I think it will accept it. Nazaruddin? All right. I'm going to go with Nas, I think, is, is what we've landed on. Um, I'm really, really, really curious to see not just, you know, how he's going to do as a freshman, but how Florida State's going to use him. Because I'm pretty sure at this point we're going to see him play and we're going to see him whether it's you know, the first couple weeks or later in the year kind of put into the defensive scheme and, and whether it's going to be as a, like a deep safety, whether you're going to bring him in the box and kind of let him you know, use his length to disrupt plays like we saw with Derwin James a couple years ago, like we saw with Carlos Becker a little bit this past season. Uh, he's a guy that, that I really was intrigued by when, uh, when Florida State got a commitment from him late in, in the recruiting process. He's someone that you know, I sought out to do a uh, – do a feature on because that kind of length and athleticism for a defensive back is, is kind of the name of the game now as you're looking to defend spread offenses. Uh, he's a guy that could be a neutralizer because you can possibly use him in different angles. We talked about him. Um, we talked about, was it last week's podcast? We went in depth on him. He, he's a guy that we're, we're all, I think, have kind of said we're, we're interested to see, and Jimbo's talked him up quite a bit. He's he's my guy for, for a rookie that I think is going to be uh, someone who plays and ends up becoming a pretty big contributor and I'm just curious to see how how they use them go ahead Bob I have said previously that I thought Akers would be an 800 yard back at the minimum 10 touchdowns somewhere in that ballpark I think you know beyond Akers uh, like you said it's low hanging fruit I think Kando could have another opportunity to, to be kind of a Brian Burns type where he comes in plays in specific packages um, I know there's a lot of depth at that position anyway, but the way that they are so multiple and versatile anyway, why not throw Kando out there and, and just see what he can do? I think he's shown intelligence and smarts. Uh, would, would you say long, 
claim that he might be a doctor one day. He's, yeah, he's he just gushed about him at media day, talked about him for a good three straight minutes nonstop. Yeah. And that quote was massive. Yeah, I mean, he praised his intelligence, yeah. his ability, his desire to be great, his willingness to learn, his ability to learn. He checked off pretty much every box you would expect, both on and off the field, about the quality of person he is, praised his parents, his upbringing, the way he approaches both football and academics. Yeah, he, I mean, he basically adopted him and said he was the best son ever. Yeah, he's a – Joshua Kendo is a guy that – I mean, even Lon was back in uh, National Signing Day was saying you – know, he, he was already on campus, Kendo was, and Lon was saying he was a guy that they wanted to get in um, into the rotation. And like Bob alluded to, like the way they use their defensive ends and pass rushers since Lon's arrived a couple years ago. Um, there is one, there's a need for playing time now that uh, Demarcus Walker is gone and, and Chris brought us something on that. Um, today is a Monday as we're recording the podcast. He wrote something today on replacing Demarcus Walker. That's about what, 800, 900 snaps that you're replacing. A guy who is one of the best pass rushers in school history is what he turned into. So, yeah, there's going to be room for Kando, and I think he's he's really good. Chris, who do you have as your, your rookie to, that you're kind of interested in, in watching this year? Uh, Akers and Kando obviously fall in that category without a doubt for the obvious reasons. I'm also – I think Stanford Samuels is going to make an impact. I don't think he'll start, but – he would start at most schools. He knows mm-hmm. what the heck he's doing. He understands how to play. He's got a very just natural feel for what he's doing on the football field, and it comes across. And he's he's a supremely confident kid in a quiet way. Like, mm-hmm. you don't hear him squawking a lot. He's not as verbal as Derwin or Nyquan, but there's a clear, I know what I'm supposed to do here. I do it. I execute it. I make the play. Next rep. Mm-hmm. And I just, I think he plays. I mean, obviously they're loaded in that secondary, but that kid's going to break through. He's one of those you cannot deny his ability to play as a freshman. Um, so I would go with him. But it's a great freshman class. I mean, it's really talented. It's funny none of us mentioned Marvin Wilson, <laughs> arguably the highest rated guy in the class other than Akers. But, you know, that's because that position so deep and talented. Those other two kind of have a chance to chip away at playing time a little bit earlier. And it's a hard position, harder position, at least theoretically, to, to get a true freshman in. Yeah. Typically. The bigger the body, the more difficult it is to kind of play really early fun. on. That's yeah. usually the theory. But he, he's going to find a role. He, he looks the part. Yeah, like Chris said, this is a really, really good freshman class. At least we kind of think it is. Yeah. Like staff seems high on it. When we're out there at practice, they pass the eye test. You can tell those guys fit in. I think there's about seven to ten guys in that class that have the ability to either start or have a semi-starting role by the end of the season. Um, I think it's that good of a group. So uh, let's go stick with you, Chris, a, a returning player, whether it be a sophomore, junior, or even a redshirt freshman that, that you want to see that you think is going to be a big part of this team that you're curious to see. I'm intrigued by Jalen Wilkerson. Yeah. Um, they need a big body at defensive end to replace with DeMarcus in that sense. I read a story today with Brad talking about how you replace DeMarcus, and basically the idea is you don't get stuck in one scheme and you use the parts you have interchangeably to do different things. Which Brad has done an amazing job. Right. I mean, he's, yeah, he's, Brad he's definitely really done that each year yeah. where he's kind of changed it up as he's gone. I think with Jalen, the big thing is that he's that big body that can kind of set the edge, maybe mm-hmm. slide inside, do some things. He's not as explosive as a walker. He's not as explosive as a lot of his teammates at that position, but he certainly can play a role. Mm-hmm. He can you know, help Josh Sweat and Brian Burns who are your 1A, 1B guys at that spot mm-hmm. to have a role yep. to fill in, to fit certain packages, certain downs, certain sets, certain offenses you're facing. So I think he's a pretty big piece to the defense. It's a very talented, deep defense across the board. 
But I think he's a very important piece because that's a position that does not have an abundance of depth. It reminds me of like a like you know in Moneyball when when they were trying to replace uh, Jason Giambi and and basically the, the thought process was okay you have to use like three different guys including you know, was it Jeremy Giambi his brother was was they basically had to use different guys with different skill sets to supplant and and, and you look at Jalen Wilkerson he's got the skill set to do what Walker did on early downs which is set the edge and, and maybe kick inside but yeah he's he's part of the puzzle as you look to replace Walker I think we're all excited. Uh, about him Bob who do you have as, as your uh, are you ready to have a surprise guy see jotting down notes here. I don't want to jump to you I can go if, if, if you need a second I'm I'm thinking about names I'm trying to think of guys who haven't really started a lot mm-hmm. maybe this is an emergence year as sort of a, a sophomore I keep coming back to Keith Gavin I who, think yeah I was gonna say who do you have on your list you got well, Gavin Wilkerson came to mind immediately I think I I turned him in the summer as a wild card because mm-hmm. I think when we were doing the rankings of the top 30 mm-hmm. um I think you might have had him a little bit higher than I would have mentally. And I was just like, I still view that guy as a wild card. Yeah, I know. I'm super high on Wilkerson. I don't know right. what it is, but but I, yeah, I've kind of yeah, I like Wilkerson a lot. And I'm super high on Gavin. I know yeah. you know he's had injury history. He hasn't doesn't have a catch yet. But everything that we've seen, everything that we've seen, everything that we've heard mm-hmm. has been extremely positive. High school coaches love him. Dad said he's never had a problem with him. He's just been great throughout his um, throughout his life. Uh, one anecdote I didn't even put in the story, it would have been great to fit in, but he's like, you love to play baseball growing up. I always thought he had good hands at the plate. Maybe that factored into him being a receiver. Hmm. Who knows? But I just, I kind of think Gavin is that guy who's maybe not going to blossom into the number one receiver, but I think he's going to be part of that mix. He's going to be a guy that you can you can count on, and I think they need a guy beyond Murray and Tate, you know, somebody who can blend into that group. Can you imagine being an opposing team lining up to FSU on a four, or three receiver, two tight end set with an empty backfield, and the two tight ends are six five. Tate's one of your receivers. Gavin's one of your receivers. And then you have, and then you have just, Nyquan, just, Nyquan just talking, just in. just talking crap yeah. the entire time, but, like, like he's six can five. Can you imagine that? that? That's a hell of a mismatch. It passes. I mean, they pass the eye test, and there's no question about that. Like they. Yeah, that, that, that team's going to be pretty imposing uh, come, come time. We're going to go from the midget squad to the tree squad. <laughs> I mean, seriously, that's what FSU offense has the potential of doing. They're going, going to go from three little dudes to potential four big guys out there at the same time. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's nuts. This is something that, like, Jimbo's been talking about this, like, catch radius being one of these big, you know, big words, and I'm working on something, just the importance of big wide receivers and the evolution of, of, of how that's come come about recently uh that's something he's been talking about for years now and like outside of Kelvin Benjamin like we haven't seen that consistently incorporating the offense uh, Auden Tate a little bit last year but but now we're going to see it because yeah Bob said Keith Gavin is going to be part of that wide receiver rotation uh, Auden Tate is already there uh and last year you had Kermit Whitfield 5'8 Bobo Wilson 5'10 Nyquan Murray um, Travis Rudolph was uh, listed at six one, but I think he ended up what being. Did he about, end up? I think he was about six foot. Was he in the NFL yeah, combine? Like right on the cusp, just where right. I got it. So like, yeah, this is it's just going to look very different, and I guess we're kind of curious to see what the the results are. But it's going to the optics of it are going to certainly be different, and and I'm sure DeAndre Francois is going to be happy that that he can just kind of throw the ball up there sometimes, and the guy may be able to go get it. That was something that they were missing last year. Um, I think that's. I think you've gotten good. You cross out the other guys, Bob. You don't feel feel bad. I think Gavin is a is a clear you know breakout candidate or you know surprise guy. Maybe not even a surprise because I think we we are all expecting him to to be in the lineup. But he's someone certainly that that is going to have a much bigger role than he had last year. 
Uh, I'm going to go with a sophomore. I'm going to go with Carlos Becker at uh, at defensive back. And I don't think he's a guy that's necessarily going to start. Uh, may not start the entire season. Maybe he sneaks in later in the year because uh, Florida State's well set at safety with the depth they have there. And at cornerback, you know, the, the position I think is natural for Carlos Becker is boundary cornerback, Tavares McFadden. Uh, you know, has that has that spot locked down? Maybe you see him at field, but that's more usually for for guys that are a little bit shiftier, a little quicker. Levante Taylor looks like the 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 piece there, but but I think you know as we look at Carlos Becker, the possibility that he could play at safety, he could play at cornerback, either one, you know, boundary or, or field, and, and maybe even star. He can play all over the place, and I think that's why I, I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, he was really really good last year in spurts. So we saw him late in the season against Syracuse, against Florida, against Michigan. And it seems like good things were always happening when he was on the field. Even if he wasn't directly making that happen, just his range, his presence, uh, he made up for a lot of you know deficiencies. I guess that were yeah, that that could be there on certain passing downs or you know, weaknesses. If the if the pass rush wasn't getting there, he was able to to kind of take up space in the back in the secondary. Uh, I don't think anyone completed a pass against him last season when he was targeted. Uh, you know, when he when he blitzed uh, the quarterback only it was only like three or four times but he either you know someone got pressure he helped you know force someone to pick him up and they got off the field consistently so he's a guy that I think is going to find his way into playing time this year I don't think he's a like I said a guaranteed starter but he's someone that I'm, I'm excited to, to see as you kind of try to get creative for Florida State uh, in the secondary all right uh, let's see is that everything for for part four yep so last question. No, no, no. Remember, we flipped four and three. Oh, so that's that right. Three. Oh, so you're right. We did you can't flip even it. read your own notes. No, I can't. I this have, is why you ended up as a journalist. <laughs> Depending on uh, who you ask, uh, I am a journalist. Oh, uh, let's see. Make or, <laughs> so. Make or break year for, for the defense, and I think more importantly, uh, Charles Kelly, a, a defensive coordinator. That was that was number four. Sorry, originally it was number three. We mixed it around. I'm not a radio personality. This isn't what I'm supposed to be doing, guys. Okay. I need time to think about stuff. You brought the pod to the people. Yeah, and then they just want to hate me for it and tear me down. Like You're a, so like sensitive. A, like a statue. Getting like, back like on an old topic, statue. Though, getting back on topic. It is, it's certainly a make-or-break year for Charles Kelly. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of people that are already done with him, and there's some people that are willing to give him time, and there's some people that think he's better than the common opinion, it seems, of some fans. Um, but there's no excuses. There's too much talent. Presuming Matt's able to make it back, your linebacker unit's very experienced. That's been kind of a weakness. That should be more so a strength. Yeah, Matthew, talk- Matthew Thomas, as of yeah. when we're recording this podcast, we don't know if he's back yeah. at practice yet. There's I mean, some belief he could be, him, but, but we shall see. Yeah. Defensive line is obviously very good, especially on the interior, the mm-hmm. edge. you got two good starters and burns and sweat and enough depth to handle it there, and the mm-hmm. secondary is loaded. Yep. And you got your alpha dog, your leader, the guy that kind of sets the tone, Derwin back, and you got... He's the, considered the best player in the country by yeah. a lot of people. My question going into the year will be scheme. Will they be a pattern match defense, or will they keep it relatively simple and play to their skill? Mm-hmm. I, I've said it before on a podcast, and I firmly believe it. I believe the pattern match is more of a Jimbo thought, while the simple athleticism... Scheme, let's go make plays, is more of the Charles Kelly thought, and they try to meet in the middle. Mm-hmm. I'm interested to see how they do that. I don't care how they do it one way or the other. The results need to be quality. They they need to be a good defense. They yeah. need to come out of the gate and play well against Bama, not talking shutout or even 
containing them. I'm talking making plays when plays should be made, not allowing big plays that shouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. Bama's going to get theirs because Bama's damn talented. Yeah. But they need to be good. And a month into this season, it shouldn't be while we're figuring some things out. If that's the case, then you know maybe you should be figuring out who your next defensive coordinator is. A month into the season, it should be we know what we are. We have a lot of experience on this side of the ball. Mm-hmm. We have leadership on this side of the ball. We're good at this. This is how we're going to attack teams. And they have coaches, and Charles Kelly falls into this, Bill Miller falls into this, Odell falls into it certainly, and Brad Lawley as well. They have coaches that know what the hell they're doing. Yeah, They know how to scheme, they know how to plan, they know how to watch video and glean stuff from opponents. They should be good. Mm-hmm. Plain and simple, they should be good. I believe they will be good. But if they're not, you know, I, I, I don't think there's a lot of like patience there. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't blame people. I don't think there should be patience there. It's the stars have sort of aligned for this to be their year, both for the coach and the group as a whole. Mm-hmm. And last year was on the coach and the group as a whole. It's not a one man show. Yeah, you know, it falls on the coach because ultimately they're getting paid a lot for results. Yes, if the results aren't there, then you cut their head off and you move on. Yeah, yeah, you know, that's the way the business yeah, it's a, works. It's a cutthroat. It's a business. Yeah. But it, last year was not solely a Charles Kelly issue. He was party issue, and the defense was party issue, and the mm-hmm. players on the defense were party issue, and they figured some things out and were much better on the back end. And some will say that see opponents. I don't think it was solely opponents. I think it was the fact that they figured out what the hell they were good at yeah. when and did. It that. was both. Yeah. It was it, the a lot of people try to make it one or the other. Yeah, that it was. Not, it, it's, it's a both. combination yeah. of things. It's just like how the Louisville should, game. It shouldn't take four to six games for a defense yeah. of this talent, this caliber, and this experience to figure things out. I think it should take one or two quarters. That, that's the when we look at last year and how that materialized, like that first four games or whatever it was, was just awful. Yeah. And it was bad partially because they were facing really good quarterbacks and, and spread but offenses. Like, but, but, but like USF, for example. Yeah. USF was being lazy on a deep pass route where they didn't respect the opponent. And the player that got burnt, Tavares McFadden, flat out will admit to mm-hmm. you that he didn't respect the speed of the opponent. And he got shown for it. Mm-hmm. You know, he got burned. But then the latter part of that game, they laid an egg. Some yeah. of it was mop-up time and, you know, garbage stats, but whatever. But they couldn't after You had looked like crap yeah. on defense. You should try to finish a game out for once. And they didn't do that. And that, that to me, as a coach, is a huge warning sign of what mm-hmm. was to come. And we saw that with UNC and other games where mm-hmm. the defense was unable to finish what the hell they were supposed to do. You're on the field. Your responsibility as a defense is to stop your opponent or at least make it really difficult for them to be good. Mm-hmm. And last year, FSU's defense, both through scheme, coaching, or I'm sorry, through scheme, coaching, and players, did not do that. If they don't do that this year, then yeah, show over. Let's move on because this is a team that's built to be a contender. Mm-hmm. And a big reason for that is a very talented, experienced, deep defense that has players that are going to go to the next level and be starters. So put up or shut up time. Well, I I think most people would. I mean, I, I'm in that camp too. Like I I don't like calling for another man's job. Like, yeah. That's not. I'm never like last year. I I don't want to say I defended Kelly. I think people looked at. it. I was just trying to put perspective into what I thought happened earlier in the year. And and like we we focused on their shortcomings very heavily early in the year. But then when things changed, like we focused on why it was changing for the better. Like every everything in coaching. In football is a learning experience. Mm-hmm. Coaches love saying that, and some of it's, you know, cliche, but it's true. FSU better have learned from last year, and that Yo, includes you Charles Kelly and I think the players. That that's what the got people angry last year. The fan base so agitated was not just the results. Like, like against Clemson, Florida State later in the year had some, like, the, if you look at, like, what the point-per-game average was, what the yards-per-play average was, was below average, like, Florida State 
went below average what it should have against Clemson, but it wasn't far off. And the the missed assignments that were there, just sometimes like Deshaun Watson's going to make a throw yeah. against you. Sometimes you're short in the secondary and like you know. There's going to be blown yeah, yeah. But, the but issue is there can't be six of them. It in can't a be game. Guys, when I was so I started going back and throughout it can't the be summer on week to week, and it can't be one week after another. Yeah, yeah. and it can't be consistent guys not knowing. I, I don't know how players met in meetings last year on defense early in the year and watched film. And weren't embarrassed. Yeah. Uh, so when I started going back and charting defensive stuff from last year and, you know, each, each you know, pass or whatever, there was about, in the first four games, you know, so we're talking, you know, Ole Miss, Louisville, USF, and UNC, there's about maybe, in, in those four games, ten different passing plays where I just have question marks, like, written down. Like, I don't know who to assign a blown coverage to because there was no one even close. Like, I can't tell. I don't know what the coverage is supposed Such to be. Such a cluster. It was so bad. And then in the rest of the year, there was maybe, like, two or three throughout the, the final, you know, eight games. Just to show how bad they were. They were just, they were confused. Um, and that's the shortcoming on the coaching staff. Yeah. Like, that may be players not executing. That's fine. But to have guys, to be putting guys on the field that are that lost and that confused and not getting it figured out after half, like that's that's where that becomes unacceptable and, and alarming. They neutered their own confidence last year. Yeah, they did. I mean, by the time that UNC game ended, that defense lacked confidence from players. Some would fly out a minute to you. Matthew Thomas Matthew, did in Matthew the post game, for example. But it was clear they lacked confidence and the coaching lacked confidence. You could look at Charles Kelly's reaction when that kick was made. He was devastated. Yeah, because he knew. Yeah, and and I'm sure he was disappointed with the way some things were coached in that game. I'm sure he was disappointed with the way some players played in that game. But he was devastated. There just simply has to be, uh, we're good. Like, accept it. We are good. We are talented. If we do what we are supposed to do on defense, I'm talking players and coaches discussing this among themselves, the way they interact with each other, they need to have a belief of what they can be and go be it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think one thing we have to kind of underscore also is, Jimbo and Charles Kelly really enjoy working together, admire each other. There's sort of a, a love there. You know, you and I were there in Atlanta a couple of years ago when, when Charles Kelly started crying at you the got question. Up, yeah. Because I think I think Jimbo stood up for him and, and has done it for, for a couple of years now mm-hmm. in certain various situations. This has all the ingredients to be a top five defense. Mm-hmm. I think we can we can all say barring another Derwin-like injury to any position, any any particular key player, this is a top-five defense. It's just a question of preparing them, like you guys said, to make sure that these mistakes don't happen week after week. Mm-hmm. I think what was really crazy was not just that FSU lost to North Carolina and how they lost, but that I think Clemson could have been prevented. Like, it, there's, no, there's no shame in losing to Clemson, but you should have learned something from North Carolina – in those weeks leading up to where you know how to better better prepare mm-hmm. for situations. And it just, that it didn't work out. Like, to me, last year's team, even without Derwin, that wasn't a three-loss team. It felt like you had the pieces to be better. In the end, what, it, what does it get you? I mean, maybe you're still playing the Orange Bowl against Michigan, but I think it's people feel like that Clemson game could have been a win or that North Carolina game could have been a win. It's it sits better when you analyze Charles Kelly if you're looking at him as a two loss coach last year, mm-hmm. or maybe even just one. I think, and people also say, well, what's what's he going to do without Derwin next year? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the other thing looking down the road is how is Charles going to pull the group together? They've got more experience than they did to start last year. Yeah, it's definitely more experienced group. You can overcome an injury, whereas I thought. 
any injury could have been overcome going into last year. Yeah. The problem with Derwin factor last year is I think they built so much of what they did around him. Around yeah. him. Now, when they lost him, the players were to a degree confused about what they were supposed to be. And the defense was certainly confused about who they were. There was no tone set by that defense for half of the season. Last no, you year. missed Derwin as much the, the person as you yeah. did the player. Like at that. No, I point. think this year you got a lot better leaders. I think Jacob Pugh is a guy who's a lot better in his skin. He, he understands he seems like what he, he knows. is. Yeah. Trey Marshall physically is a leader. He will set a tone. Yeah. He will put that hit. Derek Naughty's not super verbal, but he is going to set a tone. You're going to listen if Naughty says yeah. something. He does it in practice. Brian Burns seems like a guy. Brian that Burns is certainly a guy who's now at that point a year into the program where I think if he grabbed a locker room, mm-hmm. they would listen. I think they're in a lot better spot. Matthew Thomas isn't a guy. Matt doesn't exude a verbal confidence that's going to fire up, but Matt can play a game of football. At a Matt just kind of wants to play football and yeah. not worry about any of the external stuff. Yeah. And I, I think even I think even some of the young guys, um, you know, I think Stanford Samuels is a guy that will mm-hmm. find his voice as the season goes on. I think Kando is a guy who is similar to Naughty type. He's he's not going to be super verbal. But if he says something, I think people are going to listen. And he's going to hustle and play hard all the time. So I I think they're a lot better suited to deal with, you know, curveballs. And I think last year they did a supremely poor job of handling curveballs, specifically specifically to one of dealing with Derwin James' injury. And, you know, that that falls on everybody. I'm very interested to see how the defense does. I'm very interested to see how it's coached. I think there's been a lot of maturation, both with players and coaches, mm-hmm. on that side of the ball. And the defensive staff really likes each other. Mm-hmm. They all talk about it. I mean, and it's usually not even asked about. Brad Lawing went into it when I was speaking to him at Media Day. Bill Miller talked about it when I spoke to him at Media Day. I didn't ask either of them about it. They just simply went into the topic while discussing something else. Mm-hmm. You know, Brad was talking about working with Odell and how much he loves that and how they all work together well on defense. Bill was talking about how he loves working with Charles and when they're scheming and working together. And obviously Charles has some of that time that he had at linebacker. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't think it's like, you know, too many cooks in the kitchen, a situation like that. I think it's simply, it needs to be a sort of a perfect storm and they need to show that they are capable of being what they're being paid to be. Yeah. Uh, we saw last year, and this is kind of like the trying to fill in the blanks, like what, you know, what changed from... You know, those first four games to Miami, then on the rest of the season. And, Chris, you alluded to the very early on when we started talking about the defense and this being a make-or-break year for Charles Kelly is the scheme. The pattern matching, whether it's going to be more of the heavy stuff that, that, that Charles Kelly likes with 3-4, three, 4-3 four, four, three looks and man-to-man and a lot of blitzing. I don't know if Charles was trying to fit exactly what, what Jimbo Fisher wants and what he's envisioned for his defense to work. You know, why he brought in Jeremy Pruitt a few years ago to run the Alabama pattern matching, which is like part of their defense. It's not everything they do. Uh, it seems, though, once Charles Kelly was able to do what he felt comfortable with uh, and and that's what, the, what he thought his players would be comfortable with, things changed for them. And I, I think... Well, I think if your coach is calling something and he's confident, you're going to be You're going to be confident, yeah, and true. And that's, you know, with the personnel, like we talk about Charles Kelly and, and, and how much, you know, Jimbo Fisher likes Charles Kelly. One of the first things he always says is Charles is a, one of the best human beings you're going to have. He is. And, 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 he is. and sometimes you need someone to be an SOB as yeah. a coach, too. And um, I don't know if that's Charles or not. Like, he's yeah. just a, a genuinely good guy. And you need your defense to be kind of gritty and, and mean and nasty sometimes. But if Charles is going to have confidence and put his guys that he thinks are in position to, to play well, that's what we saw was the upside of that defense is it's a top five, top ten unit. And it was in that second half of the season. It was really good. And, yes, it didn't play the same types of offenses it did uh, in the first half of the year. That that was part of it. But, but just the optics, and I think that's what it comes down to with perception of Charles Kelly is the optics. Like how – 
not just the results that are happening, but how they're happening. Are guys out of assignment? Are you just losing? You know, are they out of position? Are they blowing assignments? Or are you just not making a play on the ball? Um, and that's what it means for Charles Kelly. Like for this year, those guys need to be gritty and they need to be making plays and showing effort all the time. Yeah. I mean, if they come out of the Alabama game, win or lose, and the defense you know, looks like a confused mess, people are going to be entirely Quick. disgruntled. Yep. And it will make perfect sense why. Yep. What if, like, Charles, like, in, uh, not another hypothetical. This is another hypothetical. It's not as crazy. But, like, say he's, like, around three or four more years and he, you know, he's staying as a defensive coordinator. And, like, every time though something goes bad, like, I just feel like there's this stigma for Charles Kelly, like, where he, I don't know if the man can shake it at this point. Yeah, I think that happens with coaches. But, I mean, Odell had the can't recruit stigma at one point because of Marvin Austin. And mm-hmm. God knows man can recruit. He's proven that time and time He's again. probably. I feel like those yeah. stigmas can come and go. I do feel like with Charles, he has to shake one off. Yeah. Um, I think some of it's deserved. I like Charles a great deal. I've always been very forward with that. And I also think Charles is a good coach. I enjoy talking football with Charles. I certainly think he knows what the heck he's doing. Mm-hmm. Now, knowing and doing it are two different things. I'd like to see it on the field. And I think, you know, if he does it, they went at a high level. The defense performs well. Yeah. There'll, there'll always be people that are done with Charles Kelly because some people are so stuck in the first slot they have in their head. But I think opinion can be largely swayed with a very good defense this year on his side of the ball. And it won't I think a lot of it will be credited to man, there's so much talent over there. But at the end of the day, if they go from being really good this year to still good next year and he's still the coach, then you know, that's when the credit kinda comes. Well that's the biggest knock on Charles Cut at this point for me is can he coach supremely talented players? Like that twenty fifteen season, a bunch of, you know, semi talented like fifth year it was basically a defense full of fifth year seniors and, and, and rookies. And he got he maximized him along with Jalen Ramsey. He maximized that team. Yeah. Um, last year when they kind of lost, you know, they lost Derwin, and then it was they were kind of going with this mash unit uh, at safety. Um, that was when they were playing their best. So like he's kind of showed he can he can take guys and make them overachieve. Can he take the the top end guys like we saw in twenty fourteen? You had a defense. I just don't know if anyone could have coached that defense you know properly based on those guys were were half checked out because they had just won a national title the year before. But yeah, I think that's a big thing with Kelly is can he coach talent? And this is a talented, talented group. I think we all agreed with that. Um, all right, let's go. Now we're on number five, right? Is this yeah, the fifth? Right. All right, all right, <laughs> yeah, buddy. Is this a national championship contender? Is this a legitimate, not just a preseason top two or three team? This is a team that you guys has to feel right now as we're talking about this in middle of August of a team that's going to be in the college football playoff. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, if you can win the ACC, if you can beat Clemson and Louisville and Miami and Florida, I think you're in. Mm -hmm. I think if you win this conference and you win the ACC title game, which is probably going to be against... Another legitimate team like a like a Virginia Tech or a Miami, and we've seen Georgia Tech. Georgia <laughs> Tech is, is probably going to drop off now with without uh, Dedrick Mills at running back. So, I I think so. I think it's going to be very very tough to go twelve and zero, but I think eleven and one, as long as that one is a respectable close loss that's understandable in the view of national voters. Eleven to one almost assuredly gets you there, right? Yeah, and like that's that's almost a guarantee. Yeah, with the caliber schedule, and gone are the days where where the ACC has to worry about you know FSU's number four a year after winning a national title. Mm -hmm. I think the ACC has enough respect, whereas some of these other conferences, you have question marks about not only can they play defense, but what's the resume of the the team Mm -hmm. and and the caliber of wins that they have. So. Yeah, I'm not sold that this is a 12 and 0 regular season team, but getting to the playoff by winning the ACC, absolutely. 
Yeah, I think they have some warts, but I don't think any of the warts are the type that keep them from being a very good football team. I think they're an 11-1 regular season football team. BM is obviously the one I think is most likely they lose. Um, I've been pretty open about the fact I think Bama wins that game. Mm-hmm. Not by a lot. I don't think it's going to be a blowout. I just think Bama's a tick better at this point. And they've been a better program yeah. than everyone over yeah. the last seven years. Like, that's, um, that's not and they're, unfair. I think uh, we'll talk more about Bama next week, I'm sure. But I think they're an 11-1 football team. I think they're pretty good. I think they have the quarterback to lead an offense. I think they have the skill at running back to handle. I think they have the ability at receiver that they need. I think the O-line is good enough, especially if it improves as the year goes on. Tackles are obviously a slight concern there. I think the tight end group is also a good group. I think Izzo kind of sees a jump in production this year. I think Izzo will be a bigger piece of the offense. A tight end helps your offense so much. Last year, so often, FSU would either be very short or very long in the passing game, and a tight end kind of opens up that middle more so for you. Um, And a tight end being effective helps a guy like Nyquan Murray, who can do a lot of work to the middle of the field. Um, defensively, we just spoke a great deal about it. I think it's a really supremely talented group, especially the starting 11. I think it's the best group they've had since 2013 on that side of ball. Probably, yeah. Um, so First I, talent. I certainly yeah. think they can do it. I think special teams are good enough. If they take a leap forward, it can be a huge difference maker for this team. So, yeah, I think they check the boxes. I don't think the college football landscape is filled with a ton of teams that I would consider top contenders. I think there's really five, six, maybe seven teams walking in the season. Mm-hmm. I would phrase as such. I'm sure another one or two will sneak up on us, and one or two of the ones I expect will disappoint. I don't think FSU will be one of those that disappoints. Uh, I'm in that mindset. I think there's a couple – there's a lot of ifs, and I think when you were just, just going down the list there, Chris, there's a lot of ifs uh, that, that can be answered positively, but, but there's still a lot of ifs and question marks for this team. To me, it's got the feeling of like a – I think there's a really realistic chance that this team can go 10-2 and two in the regular season because that schedule is, is tough. And, and if those two losses, though, happen, you know, only one is out of conference, and we're assuming that's Alabama, there's one in conference. Uh, if FSU has a chance to play in the ACC title game and wins it, it could be a two-loss team and make the playoff. And probably, I'll put it this way, I think FSU is going to lose two games. I think that's the most likely scenario. But I also think that FSU is going to be a playoff-caliber team at the end of the season. Uh because there's so much youth that we've talked about the freshmen on this on this podcast today, we've talked about a lot of the, the unknowns. I think if FSU gets its stuff together, which it typically has done under Jimbo Fisher, it usually plays well at the end of the season, um, I think it's going to be a team that, that by the end of the year is going to be clicking on all cylinders, and if it makes the playoffs, it's going to make a ton of noise and have a really good chance to win the whole thing. I just think the way the schedule kind of plays out, I think some of the, the question marks that we have are pretty big ones. Offensive line, depth at quarterback. Uh, even even just experience on on that offense, um, we just went for ten to fifteen minutes on the defensive coordinator and whether he can he can get the most and maximize of a really talented unit. I think there's too many question marks for me to think that this team doesn't drop a game or two while it's trying to figure stuff out. Um, but but if it's in a position to you know play you know make the playoffs, I think it has a really good chance to to run the title or run the table and, and contend for a title. Do you think ten and two like regular season that that FSU is in the mix? There's so many factors with that, but I think they're the ACC favorite, and I would presume they would still have a good shot of winning the ACC if that's the way it played out. Um, I think that would be in the discussion, but, you know, it depends. Is Ohio State and Penn State both there for the Big Ten? Yeah. You know, does the Pac-12 have somebody, you know, USC and somebody else? Mm-hmm. You know, the SEC, Bama, and, you know, does somebody else kind of come out of nowhere like an Auburn with Stidham? You know, do they have a good year? 
So I think there's those kind of factors. But I think they would be one of those six, seven teams at the end of the day. I think FSU walks into the season ranked number two or three in the AP, and I think they're a team that finishes the year in the top six or seven mm-hmm. and has the potential to finish one or two. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the best way I can phrase it. Could they lose two? Certainly. That, that front end of that schedule is not very friendly to them. You know, NC State's kind of a sneaky game. Louisville's playing talented. Clemson's still good. Bama's obviously what they are. Then you throw in Miami and Florida. You know, yeah. those are tough games. Mm-hmm. That's a hell of a schedule. They've got a couple cupcakes, but it doesn't make up for how difficult it is. <clears throat> so, yeah, two losses, certainly a possibility. I think they lose one. It's so tough to go undefeated. Um, but at the end of the day, I think they're a playoff team. Yeah, I, I think so. I think they're a playoff caliber team, and I think they, they – probably make their way in i think they're they're too good not to i think we're all kind of in that in that mindset this is a really talented team uh, that that has playoff caliber written on it yep um all right so for a podcast that wasn't we didn't have a whole lot of news to go over i think i don't know how long we're going on this but i have it in seconds here not not minutes so oh almost an hour podcast that's impressive guys all right well bob's fault so long-winded yeah bob Bob, bob's too chatty guys and for me, I'm like on my second, third cup of, of an extra large coffee, so the, the caffeine's feeling good right now. So, all right, folks, thank you for listening and for sticking with us. Uh, it was only supposed to be a 30-minute podcast. We gave you an hour because that's what we do. We just go the extra mile. For the people. <laughs> all right, uh, for the Knowles 24-7 podcast, I'm Brendan Sinone. Thanks to Chris Nee, Bob Ferrante for hosting us yet again. Uh, guys, we'll, uh, we'll be talking to you maybe either later this week at the latest next Monday, and that'll be game week. Uh, time to talk Bama. So, uh We'll we'll talk to you then.